right, and welcome back to another episode of the Christian Sages. I haven't done it that way in a while, so I thought I would annoyingly give an introduction. You haven't done that since last year. I know. <laughs> well, you know, that's a bad joke. Since last year was only like two weeks ago. Yeah, that's true. You're one of those guys that like as soon as January 1st or like, what is it, December uh, 30th comes up, you're like, see you next year. So. Yeah, that is kind of annoying. It is, but it's all right. But I still do it, though. <laughs> That's okay. That's important. We need people like that, and we need jokes like that. Where would life be without jokes like that? That's what I. That's that's the way I feel about it. Yeah, I think it's funny that every time we do a podcast, the, the main thing I don't look forward to is the technical part of it, because yeah. it never works. Strangely, though, it's working this time. Although I can already tell that my my mic is not as loud as yours, so I'm going to have to do some editing. But that's okay. I don't care. I'll, talk, I'll just talk quiet. <laughs> I don't think you know how to talk quiet. Just like I don't think you know how to laugh quiet. You and I both. When we laugh, we like take up the entire... They can hear us in the next state. Yeah, if, yeah and I always start coughing afterwards. <laughs> I do. That's just because I'm old. But anyway, so we're going to be talking about Zechariah today. The book of Zechariah, which honestly has a lot of, um, we really should have talked about this in December, because it actually has a lot of um, prophecy about Jesus. And yeah, it's, it really does. Yeah, I think we picked it in December because of that. Yeah, and we just the, never got around to. Yeah, with the holidays, and I was working a lot. We just didn't get a chance to get anything done, so... But it's pretty, it's pretty awesome just how you, you see, like, I love what, it's actually where he talks about he'll come on a donkey, come to the city on a donkey. And I thought that was pretty awesome, you know, because I yeah. never really knew where that was. I knew it was in the Old Testament. But to actually see it that, you know, I don't know exactly how many years from Ze- Zechariah to Jesus. I think it it's 500. 500 years. So. 500 years that 500 years before Jesus came, he prophesied that he was going to come into Jerusalem on a donkey. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. Zachariah. I mean, I didn't realize how much was in Zechariah um, because the book really covers a lot of ground and it, it starts off with, um, you know, call a call for repentance and relationship with God. And then for them to come back to himself, and then you see eight visions, which are really about God's sovereignty and encouraging them yeah. in their work. Yeah. And then it moves into the coming of Jesus, and even his first and second coming. So it covers a lot of stuff. So it really does. It's pretty cool because it's all about the building of the temple, but then it talks about the branch who will build a future glorious temple. Yeah. And it's significant because this temple, the temple, is where the presence of God dwells. That's right. And so, you know, that's what, in all of redemptive history, it's centered around where God dwells. And so eventually, Christ will usher it into the to, to be the new temple where we are the temple of God, living stones, you know. That's right. Um, but the first thing he starts off, uh, God calls the people to repent and return to himself. And in verse 3, he says, and I will turn to you, which yeah. that presupposes that God was turned away from them, that apparently something was wrong. He was displeased. Yes. And yeah. when anything other than God captivates our hearts, that's right. we must return to him. And yeah. that's how this book begins. 
That's right. Well, I, I definitely got a, that. That was something that got really put on my heart um, today when I was actually going over it again, kind of in preparation for the podcast. Um, how how important it is to seek the Lord. We we don't right. we we don't you know we talk a lot about how well God God sought us out and God came and He sought us out and we can't come before the Lord unless the Holy Spirit draws us. But the Bible talks often about seeking the Lord. Those who seek Him will find Him. You know, uh, you know it, it, that seeking God and being someone who seeks out the Lord—that's an important aspect of our relationship with God. And and it's the people that really desire Him and really seek Him out are the ones that find Him. And that's what he's right. talking about with Israel. Your 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 forefathers had left that idea, I think, of seeking God. And he's like, "Well, you turn back to me, because even though I've left them, they left me." And I think right. there's kind of this exactly. connotation that they left me first because right. of, of their actions was displaying that they had stopped valuing the Holy Spirit. They had stopped valuing God. They stopped seeking God on a daily basis. And so he left. Right. And I think there's, there's, yeah. there's a huge importance about that as we as Christians, that it is our job to seek the Lord. It is our right. job to seek out that relationship. Yeah. He's waiting there. He's desiring us and he will wait forever for us to come back to him. Yeah, but the reality of it is it is our job to seek. Just like it's well, our yeah, job that... to knock. The Bible says, knock and it shall be open unto you. Seek and you shall find. It is our, we, there, there is like, it is an active, we are active participants in this relationship. Right. It isn't just a one-sided thing where Jesus loves, God loves us, he sought us out, he died for us, and now we're saved. We, we, we are active participants in this relationship, and it is a required part of that relationship for us to actually have a relationship, for us to be an active participant in that relationship. Right. And one thing I liked about this was it really is a call to, to learn from, uh, you know, you always yeah. hear like father, like son. Um, and you always hear people make excuses. Well, my mother used to worry a lot, therefore I worry. My dad got angry a lot. And <clears throat> what God's saying here is, that doesn't have to be you. And so how do you change? It's all about devotion to Him. And so He gives us warning, and it's basically saying, yeah. learn from the mistakes of your fathers, previous generations right. who spurned God's Word. We must follow God's Word, not religious rituals of our fathers. We must have a relationship according to his word. And when you think about it, flesh is grass, and God's word is eternal. So, you know, I was thinking about yeah. you have to beware of, of, of preachers and of those who talk about themselves a lot. Like, they bring themselves into their sermons all the time and talk about their opinions, successes. Yeah. You know, in every sermon, it's like, God's too great to bring yourself and fit yourself into every sermon. You need to preach God's word because your flesh, your grass, and you're going to be gone. Give these people what's eternal, you know. And so, yeah. but that's what you see a lot in, in the popular, the the books and a lot of the TV preachers and stuff. They they really build themselves up a lot. And people say, well, I want to be successful like that guy. And it's like, just preach God's word. That's your job. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we had talked about this earlier, and I think that's one thing that I really got out of reading. Reading a lot of the Old Testaments is the idea that Israel, you know, we, they, the idolatry, the, the God that they serve above God or the God that they put above God is not necessarily gods of other nations or uh, idols, but it, it's themselves. Right, yeah. And we, and we do that quite often 
and I know I, I'm very much guilty of that. I'm sure we're all very much guilty of that. That the God that we actually serve, the God that we actually put above God is ourselves. Yeah, yeah. We, and, and that eventually when you, the Bible says that you can't worship two masters. You will love one and you will hate the other. Now he's talking about money, but it applies to anything that you put above God. Anything that you, any master that you put above God, you will eventually hate the one and you will love the other. And there will be something that will come into contention that will cause a break in relationship if you are serving yourself above that other master. So if myself is my master and not God, even if it's just a, a portion of something, like we had talked about, you're holding one thing back. Like, okay, God, um, I'm giving you everything, but there's just one thing that I don't want to give to you. Uh, right, whatever right. that is, whether it's a habit, whether it's uh, uh, a dream, anything that, that you hold back and say, God, you're Lord of everything, but you're not Lord of this. Because for this is for me, and this is what I want. And, and, and you make that equal in mastery, then that you become a God. You become God in your own eyes in that one area. And that one area, if it isn't fulfilled or you don't get what you want in that one area, it will always become a matter of contention with your relationship with God. And it, and it, will, it will cause a break in that relationship because you are not giving that place mastery to God. That place is right. yours. And in that area, you are God. And you can't have it both ways. You can't serve two masters. You can't be, it can't be, um, oh, we had talked about this uh, before. I don't necessarily believe in uh, dual citizenship. Uh, now, yeah. obviously, if you're, if you're a son and, uh, or a daughter and your one parent is from Great Britain and one parent is from the United States and you were born of these both parents, well, you necessarily, you inherently get dual citizenship because they are citizens of different countries. I don't have a problem with that. But if you're going to leave a country and come to the United States, then this is your country. If not, you don't belong here. That doesn't mean you can't come here and visit, but, but you don't belong here because you can't serve Great Britain and the United States. You can't serve Lebanon and the United States. You can't serve Canada and the United States because you can't be, you can't be, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, <laughs> I hate well, it when the word just flies out of my head. But you can't serve both of them. You can't. You can't. Yeah. You can't your loyalty and allegiance can't be to both. Right. You have to have an allegiance to one because what happens when there is contention is your allegiance is then is, is then gonna is is gonna be torn and it's gonna be tied to one or the other. Right. Yeah. Um, there's no hope for that. America's got such flimsy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, laws concerning that That's you know funny. like in other countries they just kill you throw you in jail whatever yeah, yeah, but yeah. but anyway yeah what you were saying about idols though I turned to uh, chapter 10 where he talks about for the household gods utter nonsense and the diviners right. see yeah. lies they yep. uh, tell false dreams they give empty consolation but what you were just saying though this is talking about the little idols they put in their house and they serve these idols well what they do is they pray you know, people who serve other idols, you know, places yeah. in Africa and different places that, you know, they have these little gods where you have to be very careful when you talk about Jesus because they say, yeah, well, if that God, if he's a, a God too, he can help me. I'll just put him on my shelf with the rest. You know, right. if I pray, if something good happens, he's a good God. You know, and it was really the serving themselves because these idols, it's not like they're really serving these gods. They're really right. serving themselves. Right. And so, you know, often we do the same thing, though. Um, we don't bow down to some crafted image we don't mold some image right. but we create idols of money and power of comfort and entertainment 
Um, and we expect them to give us happiness. And so how foolish, how foolish that is. But, right. um, I saw this quote or this, uh, quote from, a Spurgeon and it reminded me of that, um, there lingers in man's memory shadows of what he was and remembrances of where his strength must still be found. When the creator gives yeah. his creature the power of thirst, it is because water exists to meet its thirst. When he yeah. creates hunger, there is food to correspond with the appetite. Even so, when he inclines men to pray, he's, it's, it's about prayer, but he says, it is because prayer has a corresponding blessing connected with it. Yeah. So, right. you know, he's saying basically we were created and God created things for us. Yeah. Um, and ultimately he is what satisfies us. That's right. So, so it goes with, you know, we can serve money your whole life and yeah, you can, it, you know, but, um, well, it's, like that, we keep... it's that old adage too, you know, that what's important. And we talk a lot about, we see a lot of this in today's society in movies and television and whatnot that, Oh, you know, you work guys working himself to death. Uh, to to make a certain amount of money, but he sacrifices his family relationships, and right. that's and that's very easy to do because you know the immediacy of your bills and the things you need to pay become important. But but if your job is not about okay, I'm, I have a job because I want to have value and I want to provide value in my life, but also that I want to provide for my family, and it becomes about the things that I can gain out of it, whether it be prestige, whether it be um, so that I can buy things that people look at me and say, oh, wow, he's really successful. It's That's an unnatural place. Right. And, and that's the wrong thing to be giving your life to. And exactly. um, it's so easy to look at these things and become so caught up in the day-to-day necessities of life, the immediate things, and we forget the eternal things, the things that are really important. And that is our relationship with God. That is, you know, and that's something that's <laughs> yeah. so easy to do in today's world, you know that we could get so caught up in those things, get caught up in, oh, I got to work two jobs in order to pay my bills, or I've got to work 60 hours a week, six days a week, which I'm currently at, you know, to, to pay my bills. And we begin to neglect that relationship with God. Right. I, I, yeah, I think I think that's one thing that, that you remind yourself of the gospel daily. Yeah. Um, because it's when you truly apprehend that, you realize, because I, I think one thing uh, I heard of pastor talk about. I think it was Paul Washer. He said, if I gave you a, a moldy uh, a sandwich with moldy pieces of bread and bad meat, and um, you, would, you would think it was disgusting, he'd tell me to throw it in the trash can. And he said, I've been in a country where people are hungry. And he said, where they're starving to death. They're literally dying and handed them something like that. Yeah. And he's like, and they're kissing my hand. That's right. And Absolutely. he's like, that's often what, you know, the gospel, except it's not a moldy piece of sandwich. It's, it, it's a treasure. But he's, he connected that with blessed are the poor in spirit. That's why Jesus, right. you know, because we realize when we start neglecting our relationship with God, we start, what we're doing is we're forgetting that, that he gave us everything and he owes us nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and what we do really, we create our own little religion. We we, we only want to sure. modify our behavior so we can basically feel good about ourselves and say, well, we deserve this. Yeah, we virtue you know? signal. Christians are I mean, just it's as like, guilty it's as like, virtue signaling is. As it's like, yeah, it's like it's like Judaism. You ask a, a some somebody in Judaism or a Muslim why they are going to heaven. Well, because I fast, because I am right. good, because I right. 
so basically what you say is God owes you that. Yeah. You know, that's that's essentially what you're saying. But Well, because they've earned it. That's why um that's why it's important to them. That's right. why people seek out religious religion as opposed to a relationship with God, because then they're in control of it. So exactly. I've earned my salvation. But no, the Bible says you can't. Well, we had actually talked about that, that I had been having a discussion with somebody, um, I think it was last week, week before last, and they were Christians at one point, you know, had gone to church, but it didn't make sense to them. And then they, they, they decide to accept Islam because Islam made more sense to them. And what made more sense to them was that she didn't, she didn't, she couldn't buy into the idea that you're saved by grace and not by your works, that it made more sense to her that you're judged by your actions and by what you do. And that that determines your salvation as opposed to, well, Jesus loved me and he died for me. And how can that be like then anybody, even if you're a horrible person, if you accept Jesus Christ, you can go to heaven. And that didn't make any sense to her because it takes the control out of your hands and puts it back into God. And again, it goes back to this. what, What is God? If I'm God, then I'm in control of my destiny. And if I'm serving myself, then I'm in control of my destiny. So it's easy to fashion our Christian views around this idea that, okay, well, if I'm, it's work related. If I do this, then I get this. If I'm good enough, I go to heaven. If my, if I say my, in my prayers at the right time, I go to heaven. If I read my Bible enough times that I get to go to heaven, I've earned this as opposed to it's by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And well, uh, that's a hard that it's easier to because you're in control to accept religion as opposed to that relational idea that it's by grace. Well, yeah, relationship is tougher because if Absolutely. you think about it, as, as your Absolutely. faith grows, as your relationship with God grows, um, you know, repentance isn't a one time thing. It's something that we constantly go through. Absolutely. Like uh, one year, a Christian who's been saved one year. might repent of something. That's right. And then 30 years down the road, he's repenting of things that he didn't even know. But what's happening is his his knowledge of God's holiness and knowledge of things are growing and it's That's not right. something where That's he's right. walking around staring at the ground he's yeah. he's repentant but he's he's joyful because God has forgiven him. And that's so right. That's, right. that's what the gospel does for us. It's not about behavior modification because the moral like okay so a guy gets mad if he's a legalist he gets angry. Right. And what he does is he blames other people or that's outer right. forces right. or traffic and he says yeah, I'm going to stifle this behavior. So what caused this argument with my wife. We're just not going to talk about that. We're going to do whatever we can to to manage our behavior. That's right. Now, the gospel goes in and it says, and it asks the question. It goes right to your heart and says, why did you get angry? That's right. What idol got knocked into to cause that reaction? Right, right. That's right. What part of your nature caused that? Why, what, what is the reasoning for that? It isn't, it is, right. It's not about, it's not about behavior control. Because, I mean, because if we're, yeah, if we're honest, our our hearts are prone to wander into legalism, where we desire to earn favor and good standing, and we think we're doing good. And it's it's something that, you know, the gospel yeah. really crushes that to walk with God daily, moment by moment, and actually be an open to well, right. correction. You know, because right. you got it. You know, we we get we tend to get good at things where we think, you know, I don't need to be corrected, and we get corrected our. Oh, practice. we get lazy. We get lazy right. because we think we've attained and we've. We, you know, we've done, we've, we've done good enough. We've attained to a certain level. You see that in Israel too. And that's the moment that they get lazy and complacent is a moment that everything begins to fall apart and their behavior begins to change. Right. Because here's the thing. We're talking about a nature here. 
that the Bible and, and the relationship with God deals with a nature, which is the sin nature. It's like the nature of a wild animal. You can suppress the nature of a wild animal and you can train a wild animal. But the reason why that lion tamers don't turn their back on their lions is because that nature can reassert itself at any moment and the lion will attack them. You can right. only su you, suppression only <clears throat> works so far. You take you take them out of the environment of the jungle and put them in a cage, and 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 you change the environment. But that suppression only works for so long. Plus, it it requires a constant state of being separated from where you actually belong. And right. and you look at that in, in the the dark ages when monks would lock themselves away in monasteries because they were trying to control their behavior. They were trying to control the sin nature by locking themselves away from the world. And uh, it didn't work because that doesn't work. The only thing that works is changing that nature. And the only thing that changes that nature is the Holy Spirit. It's accepting exactly. Jesus Christ who comes in and makes you a new creation. It changes that nature. And that nature well, is being renewed daily through the Spirit. But right. we can't, Paul, we can't, sorry, let me finish my point. We can't walk this world out without that daily uh, connection to the vine. Without it, you can't, you can't walk this out. You can't just, because that's what changes the nature. That's what deals with the nature. It is the Holy Spirit. It is not you. It is not you suppressing it. Exactly. That's what, you know, the Holy Spirit crushes false motives exposes deep things that captivate our hearts in place of God. It's true. And so it, it, the only thing that's powerful enough to free us and save us and transform us is is basically the present experience of of the Holy Spirit and dwelling believers. That's right. You know, and that that is not that's that's really the difference though in in religion and Christianity. Is it's so different. Because the thing is if there is a God who is truly holy as holy as we understand him, you yeah. cannot be good enough. No, you, know, you, you can't. can't be. There's no way you, you can can't. earn your way to him, which is why he had to become a man. That's right. And he became the latter. He became the way. That's and right. Well, that's why that's they had really the sacrifices. That's why they had the temple was because right. they couldn't fulfill the law. So they had to have the sacrifices. They had to have the day of atonement because without it, they couldn't be forgiven of their sins. And it was only for a year. And it only lasted for as long for that whole year, and then they had to do it every year, or sometimes even you know sacrifice even multiple times because of sin issues. But there there was no way for them to pay for it, and they knew they were going to fall. Paul talks about that. He says that you know we're not throwing out the law because through the law I know what sin is, but I can't fulfill the law because I will always break the law because of the sin nature. But through Jesus Christ, I can fulfill the law because through Him it is fulfilled. Through his sacrifice, right. it is fulfilled. And therefore, I can be forgiven and I can be restored to that relationship. And my nature can be restored back to the nature of Adam before the fall. That is what, the, that, that, that is what this all represents. And right. it's not in something that I can do in my own self. Well, yeah, that's exactly what uh, I have this written down here about... Um, G.K. Bill, it's a book I just read, uh, God Dwells Among Us, and he points out that Eden is presented as a sanctuary yeah. and a place where God dwells, and then in Ezekiel 28, he refers to Eden as a temple, and then he refers to how throughout Scripture, the tree of yeah. life is yeah. God's wisdom. It shines in That's our right. light in our path. The tree of life served as a model for the lampstand outside the Holy of Holies. 
you know, Eden is a place of God's presence. That's right. And God's right. presence is all that will satisfy us. And then he yeah. he has this great quote of J.R.R. Tolkien. We oh, all long for Tolkien. Eden, and we are constantly glimpsing it. Our whole nature at its best and least corrupted, yeah. its gentlest and most humane, is still soaked with a sense of exile. And so That's like right. you were just saying, so how do we return from this exile? And Zacharias shows us a glimpse in chapter 6, verse 12 through 13, where we see the branch will build a future glorious temple, and he's yeah. speaking of Christ, the branch, the stump of Jesse. Yeah. So as God's presence is restored through the work of Christ, yeah. our purpose is also restored That's right. as king, a kingdom of priests, as a holy nation yeah. serving God, That's right. the temple, and we have access to God. You know, at Jesus' right. death, the temple veil was torn. His resurrection basically inaugurated the new creation. And those who are in Christ, we're the new temple of God, where God dwells among us. And so it's pretty cool, because yeah. that's exactly what um, that book, I mean, is basically exactly what Zachariah is talking about. That's right. But um, Oh, he talks often about that in Zechariah about being restored. This whole book is about restoration. That's really what it's about. Yeah. It's about being restored, that Israel is, you know, he uses Israel as a reference, but he's not just talking about Israel. He's talking about all mankind, but he's, exactly. he's talking about restoration here. They're going to be restored back to what they were designed to be. You're going to get this back. He talks it often. You're going to get that back. You're going to be priests again. You're, the, the presence of God is going to be in, in the holy hill, and I, I long for Jerusalem, and I long for Mount Zion, and I'm going to restore you to that. He even talks in uh, chapter 10, I remember... Uh, we had talked in a couple of the other ones um, where he had a lot of harsh things to say about Ephraim and right. uh, the sin in Ephraim he even says in chapter 10 in verse seven, those of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man and their heart shall rejoice as if the wine. Yes, their children shall see it and be glad. Their heart shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them and gather them for I will redeem them. And I love that because we had seen so often how he, in, in the older books we had talked about how much he 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 loved Ephraim, but he couldn't he couldn't forgive him because of the right. problem because of the sin, and they were going to be destroyed. But here he says, but but they will be glad, and I will redeem them, and their children will see this. And I think that's awesome. That's cool because he even goes back to Ephraim and who had who he was so angry at in, in older uh, in older prophecies, and says, but I'm going to redeem them. And I yeah. I love that he because I think it's important he singles out Ephraim. There's no other. There's no other uh, other than I think Joseph. Uh, he says the people of Joseph, but the only tribe that I can recall reading through that he actually, well, other than Judah, he talks about Judah a lot. That he uh, singles out is Ephraim, and that's so yeah, telling know. because of when you read the older, the older prophecies and you read the older books and you see how just a dis, how much a disappointment, how much in sin Ephraim was and that he felt like they were irredeemable. And he actually calls them out in this book and says, but you are going to, I'm going to redeem you Ephraim. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I think that's, that's pretty cool too. Um, what's interesting is uh, chapter two verses six, seven and then verses eight, but in six and seven, he's calling them out of Babylon. Yeah. And I read something that said only 90% of or 90 of Israelites rejected these warnings and remained in Babylon, but 10% or so came back. Uh, right. But verse 8, he talks about, he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Yeah. And that's not the first time God has called his people the apple yeah. of his eye. Yeah. And God absolutely loves his people. 
And our great God loves us so much that he actually associates himself with us. And it goes even deeper in the New Testament because of the work of Christ and we're united with him. And because of union with Christ, uh, when we are persecuted, it's like Christ himself being persecuted. Yeah. Like on the Damascus Road, Jesus yeah. says to Paul, or Saul at the time, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting, are you persecuting me? Yeah. me? So believers in our union with Christ, we're so united with him that to persecute yeah. us is to persecute him. And yes, so, it is. Yeah. And if this is true, should we not love one another even more? Absolutely. So if you love Christ, naturally you'll love, you'll love the one body another. of Christ. So Absolutely. you cannot accept Christ's headship and reject his body. That's true. You know, you I, I've heard that by so many people in our in our uh, it's, it's very Americanized, individualistic. How yeah. well I don't have to go to church. I don't have to do this. I don't have to. I can Absolutely. still be saved. And it's like, well, I want to challenge you on that because if you love Christ, you love His body. You love the way. Well, there's just a bunch of people there that you know. I don't. You know, there's just pastors asking for money. I've heard all these things and. Just, they're just excuses. You know, I've made they're them. They're just excuses I've where... Made them. It, I think we've all made them. But they're just excuses. They're just excuses to not get involved because it's easier to not. It's easier to get so caught up in your daily life. And uh, one of the biggest excuses I've made, and I know a lot of people have made, is, oh, well, I just need time for me. I'm tired. I worked a lot this week. So I'm just going to take, you know, I'm just going to take Sunday off because that's my only day really to spend time and with the family. And, and <coughs> I'm not saying that there isn't time for that. There aren't time. Right. Like, there is time when well, there, you have to say, all right, well, I'm going to take this Sunday off because I need to do some things with my family or I, I need some time. But the fact is it becomes the difference a habit. Is, right. The difference is true believers won't stay that way. Absolutely. You well, know, I yeah, mean, I went through, I, I went through a period where I didn't want to go to, go to church. I didn't want to hear oh, music. Yes. I, didn't want, you I know, understand. I've so been I, through it too. I've been through I think, it too. I think everybody's gotten burnt out at that point. And then you, what you do is realize that I've made this whole thing all about me. Well, that's, um, that's right. Even when I was at church, that's why I got mad yeah. and burnt out about it. Well, it's but, like, uh, well, absolutely. Oh, I agree with that 110% because I went through the same thing. But it's like, <laughs> it's like um, uh, if you go on vacation forever, you're just unemployed. <laughs> it's, the, it's the same kind of thing. It's like you know, like if you're always on Don't vacation, my goal in life. <laughs> but if you're going, <laughs> if you're always on vacation, you're unemployed. So if you're always skipping church, you're not really, you're not really involved in the body. You're not really part. But uh, yeah. Well, that's that's one thing though about God's word and about faith. When you when you read it and you see how God feels about His people, this is His self revelation to us, and He calls His people the apple of His eye. It should yeah. really make us want to not just feel good about ourselves. I mean, sure, it makes me feel good about ourselves, but it should make us really, how, do, how are we treating, and another thing is when Paul calls the Corinthian believers the temple of the Holy Spirit, he says, do you not know you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? Right. And so if, if that person is the temple of the Holy Spirit, how can you tear them down? Right. How can you gossip about them? What you're doing is you're fighting God. If you know, if if you there, yeah, huh? absolutely. Oh, I heard a dead space. Anyway, yeah. but what God you're doing is, if if you're doing that, you're you're tearing down what God is trying to build up. You're working against Him. Yeah, absolutely. And so you know, but God's word, when we when we read it and we see how much He loves us, it should it should encourage us to love what He loves and to also hate what He hates. Absolutely. That that goes right into the point that I 
one of the things that God really showed me um, when I was going through it today was a lot of this. He talks a lot about how much he he loves truth and how much he hates lies. He even goes on in, um, uh, what chapter was it? Uh, I want to say 13. Yeah, it's 13 where he talks about the prophets and how they're going to, you know, that anybody who's been prophesying for a period of time is going to be cut out and even killed. And their family's going to say, you should die because they've been speaking lies in the name of the Lord. And, Mm. um, he talks a lot about that. And when you go through the Bible, the Bible talks often about seeking truth. And that was one thing that I've been, I think we've seen a decline in is this idea of truth that people no longer seek truth. What they, they seek their, their truth. Oh, this is what their truth really means. What they feel about something, their opinions on something. It doesn't mean the truth. People aren't looking for the truth anymore. And that's what you saw in Israel. When a lot of times, whenever there's problems, is they stop seeking the truth and things, um, because it's easier when you're seeking the truth. You can no longer justify your sin. You can no longer right. justify the things that you're doing. When you're right. seeking the truth, you will find God, and then you have to <coughs> serve the Lord, and you and because that is truth. Um, and we're seeing a lot of that even in today's world, where people have just stopped seeking real truth. They're seeking right. understanding, which isn't the same as truth. Well. You- yeah, that's a great point because I heard somebody talking about this and he was saying that nowadays when pastors counsel people, they have to understand that it's not it's not like several decades ago where right. people accepted the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible that's right. and this this is what the word of God says. Yeah. Now there's so much attack on who is the real Jesus of the Bible, and can right. we really trust Scripture? Yeah. Can they so what you're doing men, is even right? Christians they were written by men. So how can we trust that it's truth? Right. There's there's uh there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds thousands of copies of manuscripts, which actually more points to the accuracy of the Bible. But anyway, absolutely. But people are now even Christians are saying, well, uh, there's so many different denominations. There's so many different, right. and it's like. To me, I, I see a lot of unity oh, in, the, in the body of Christ absolutely. because we have him. We have him. And if you take— That's right. Um, you know, I'm talking to a Baptist guy down the road, and on almost everything we agree. Now, some of the eschatology we, we disagree on, but it's like, you know what? When we see Jesus come back, you know, we're not going to be looking at one another saying— you right. were wrong, and I was right about well, this. It's like that we're old gonna... adage that if you don't believe in the rapture, that you can stay here. It's like, well, <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. Just because I don't necessarily believe in the rapture doesn't mean that if it happens, I'm going to stay here. You didn't you know? say the sinner's prayer to the rapture. I mean, <laughs> you know. that's true. Dear that's rapture, right. come into my heart, rapture. Save me of my sins, rapture. Oh, great eschatology. Please save me. But I do believe, you know, I mean, eschatology, I mean, I do believe that it's it needs to be taught right yes. because there's an escapism and there's a, you know, because really Revelation was written to Christians who were being persecuted, who that's needed right. encouragement to persevere to the they end, did. to follow the Lamb wherever he Absolutely. goes. And that's what's missing from a lot of the eschatological uh, teaching now. And so I, I disagree with that. Well, but because the they, don't time, want, they don't want to have to struggle. They don't want to have but, to deal with you know, persecution is struggle. As far as the union between me and another believer is we have Christ. We're both saved. Right. We both believe in, in mostly 
you know, 80%, write it down and, and I'll agree with you. And, you know, but. Well, that's why Paul said that, you know, when I come to you, I just, I talk about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that was all he talked about. That was right. what he made important. That was, you know, the connection uh, between people. That's the connection between us all. It's Jesus Christ. He was born of a virgin. He, uh, he was God in the flesh. He died and he rose again. If you believe those things and you accept that, then that's Christianity. And I think we do get a lot of, we do get caught up in a lot of interpretations and that's true, right. but we're yeah. seeking truth. And I think that's, right. there, there is such a thing as truth and the Bible is truth. And that's, well, that's different than knowledge. It's different than understanding. It's truth. It's yeah, not, I, it's not my understanding of the truth. There is simply truth. It is right. either right and it, or it is wrong. It is black or it is white. It is truth. And and in today's society, and, and you see that throughout all of, I think, history to some degree, we take our interpretations and our understandings, if you can see my quotation marks, you can't because we're not using a camera, um, our understanding to justify sin in our actions okay. that are wrong, justify that, that, that break. Like you said that, well, I don't really need to go to church to be a Christian. So we justify that to not go to, we use that to just our, our, our interpretation, our understanding, our truth on that to justify not being part of the body. You know what I'm saying? But there is a truth, right? There is a truth that the, that the Bible says, do not forsake the gathering together of the brethren. There is right. a truth. Now, I'm not saying everything that we do in our church services is necessarily in the Bible and is, you know, I believe that, you know, church is great. And I believe we should we need to be a part of it because we need to be a part of the body. Then there are certain things that change from from generation to generation, certain um, forms and the ways that we do things that are not necessarily mentioned in the Bible that are not important. Whether we sing a fast song or a slow song, whether we sing hymns or whether we sing right. modern songs, whether we wear ripped jeans or whether we wear suits and ties, you know what I'm saying? Whether we take communion right. out of a glass or a bowl or little mini cups, whether, you know what I'm saying? Whether we're using wine or juice, those things are immaterial. But the base truth of Christianity does not change. And you find that in every sect of Christianity, it's the same. Right. And we all have preferences. <clears throat> yeah. You know, it's one thing to have preferences. It's one thing to like, um, you know, twelve-point font in your bulletin. But when you start questioning other believers how how sincere they are about worship because they don't like twelve-point font, you know, it's like that's a silly example. Silly. But stuff does get, you know, it's, people do get upset about certain things. That I'm just like, yeah, you know, just do. just just forget about it. But Here's another point I like, too, is in uh, chapter 4. It's a great verse, verse 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And, you know, and then in verse 10, he says, do not despise small things. And so the temple, the second temple that they were building, it was not going to be as grand and glorious as the great temple that Solomon built. Yeah. But... It's all about God. God is saying, do not despise small things. Yeah. This is, it's, you know, things are happening in my time and God's going to expand this dwelling place. That's right. And so it usually begins in surprising places, right? True. Things of God. Christ um, was born in Bethlehem, not Jerusalem. Just something like that. Just yeah. certain things happen. Yeah. Well, and then Paul says, you want to hear a mystery? He's talking to the Colossians. He's like Christ in you, the hope of glory. Yeah. And so he says he 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 foolish things will confound the wise, 
And so we aren't to despise small things. So often we look at it, and when we look at it as just small things, yeah. or we look at it as like it's only me, it often hinders our faith because we're looking at thing. the small things. We're looking at the thing. They're yeah. looking at the temple and the size of the temple, and it's like the God of glory dwells there. Right. He's he's among you, and, and that's a great thing. So even us, it's like Paul was saying, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Yeah. That's pretty powerful. And sometimes I, I think that that has to be something we make a habit of, is Absolutely. believing, is simply believing and, and, and expecting when, when we pray. Have, simply having faith. Right. Not looking at small beginnings or small things or, or yeah. it's just that, you know, because the thing is, Christ in you to hope glory, that, I can't get that out of my head, you know. I love that. But, but when I read that, though, in verse 10, um, that's what I was thinking about. And these small beginnings here yeah. in Zechariah were really foreshadowing the end time temple, which they is going to be grand and it's going to expand and it's going to fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. I agree with that. And that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is what we were designed to be. Right. I think it also symbolizes that. Now, um, to end it, because we're running out of time, um, in Zechariah 11, he talks about, um, he also mentions the 30 pieces of silver, the wages yeah. for for Jesus, which I think is pretty awesome. And like you said, it's like 500 years. So I just want to end you on that point of if you've had prophecies in your life and you're really struggling with because you just don't feel like you've seen the fulfillment of it, just realize that it was 500 years that before these prophecies were fulfilled. So, not that we're going to yeah, live to be 500 years old, but, well, for, you know. For God, that's yeah. like half a day. Yeah. It's like 12 hours to God. A thousand um, years is as a day, and a day is like a thousand. I love that. There's actually math in the Bible. A thousand <laughs> years is as a day. I mean, I hate math, but there's mathematical equations in the Bible. A thousand years is as a day, and a day is as a thousand years. So you can you can use that mathematical equation, like X equals Y, um, to put in there like um, AIDS is just as easy for God as a cut finger is. Because yeah. a day is a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day. There is no limit. There, there's no concept of time to God. Which is why I, I still, and I know we've had this discussion, um, I still believe that, I, I don't necessarily believe that the earth is only 15,000 years old or whatever, 25,000 years old or whatever it is that a lot of Christians tend to believe. Because for one, we talk about Adam and Eve and, oh, Adam lived to be 900 years old, but he lived to be 950 years old after the fall. How long did he live before the fall? You know, we tend to make it seem, because in the Bible it's mentioned so fast, we tend to make it seem like, oh, the world was created in six days, and then Adam and Eve fell. Well, like, we don't really, yeah, yeah, we don't really know, but you also look at genealogies, and yeah. genealogies in ancient times were not, you know, exactly. when it says, this guy was the son of this guy. This guy begat this guy. Right. Um, most of the time, they, they would skip over several generations. Oh, absolutely. And, and to us, we're like, wait, no, but it says this because of how we read it, how we would That's have right. written it. That's right. Uh, whereas for them, That's it right. was just, you know, this, this guy is a significant person in the line of Adam. This guy is a significant person in the line of, you know, so. That's right. So but, hopefully you enjoyed this episode of The Christian Sages. Um, if you're interested in hearing more about our thoughts on the subject matter and finding out more episodes, you can go to thechristiansages.com. 
Um, currently, the podcast is on Podbean. It's on that. But you can find plenty of YouTube videos of our podcast that you can link to. They are linked if you go to the I've been running and trying to chase down who I want to be and I want to right now. Sometimes it seems so far away. Watch posts up and we'll have plenty more coming up as the uh, new year begins. My daughter is going to be creating a books page where we're going to have books and links to books that you can purchase that we recommend, one of which are going to be my dad's book. A friend of ours, Gina DiOrio, wrote a, a, a book. We're going to link that in there as well. And any other book that Doug or I have been reading that we want to share with you guys, we're going to link in that. And if we start writing books, we're going to have links in that as well. So if you'd like to check us out, just go to thechristiansages.com. You can um, should be able to, I'm pretty sure it's up now, be able to reach us directly through the webpage. But if not, you can reach us at thechristiansage at gmail.com. So have a wonderful day. God bless. And say goodbye, Doug. Good night. Good night. And just remember that a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. So if you're trusting God for something, it may take a thousand years. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just playing. It'll come in God's time, which is hopefully not a thousand years. Yeah, you'll be dead. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We love you guys and have a wonderful day. Running and trying to chase down who I want to be and I want to right now. Sometimes it seems so.